In 2018, the Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office released a 1,000-page report detailing decades of sexual assault and cover-ups committed by Roman Catholic clergy. Like the reports and investigations that preceded it, it's fading from memory. Swears and Prayers is a conversation with Catholics about their relationship with the Church and their struggles with faith in the face of this ongoing and unresolved crisis. These are everyday people and their real stories. Laura is a mother of three. She and her husband, Steve, are the founders of Casa Alma, Charlottesville's Catholic worker community. I have had a, a displacement from the church, from the spot that I had been in the church for the last yeah, 20 years or so. Um, but it, and so I, while that displacement was happening, this sense of loss of confidence in church leaders, um, a decreasing inability within myself to be present in clergy-led spaces, including mass, and not have a voice in those spaces, um, and a deep upset, distress, anger, sadness over all the abuse, scandals, and rape of children that's coming out anew in the church. So with all of that, as all of that has unfolded, initially I think it felt like a crisis of faith because it was so shaking of this foundation that I've been resting on to do all of this intersecting life, faith, social justice work for a long time. But as I'm thinking about it today and for this conversation, well, it's maybe it's more of a crisis of belonging or a crisis of identity, like how I choose to identify the community I choose to be part of, because the bigger elements of faith, like the around the nature of God, the nature of the created world, the sacredness of humanity, the um, uh, I don't know energies of abundance and love and creativity that are inherent and part of the universe and are divine like my faith in all of that hasn't changed at all it's where do I go to have that nurtured to be challenged in that to live that out more and that's that question had been answered I had answered that question 20 years ago and felt like yes the catholic church which is my you know childhood heritage um, that is the place where I want to locate myself and so I don't know what to call it a crisis of what exactly right. so not exactly faith but um, I don't know it seems like I need a smaller word that describes faith in an institution that you already knew was flawed that mm -hmm. you entered into and now that part is shaken so you used sense. the word entered into, mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's another aspect of this, is that like, how much of, did you choose like your faith, and how much mm. was it like something that you're like, well you know what, it's good, and, and do you consider yourself to be like, I guess when we're talking about faith, and you're talking about like, you know, the creation, and like all that stuff, um, yeah, I don't mean to say <laughs> like that, but, um, but like, uh, like, how about the Catholicness of it? 
Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. because, like, do you, are you like, you know what, I'm a, I'm a believer. Like, I believe in this. Mm-hmm. Or is it like a vehicle? I don't even mean that in like a mercenary way, but like, it was just like, hey, like, it has all the pieces that I need. I like some stuff that they have to say. My actual mind's over here. Like how how much of it is 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 like you're I'm, I'm, I believe in the Catholic tenets of the faith versus like it has these things that that dovetail with what I already believe. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to wrap my mind around that really because all of my faith formation as a child and as an adult has been in the Catholic Church, and so I think the at some point in college when I was being exposed more to Catholic social teaching that was an area that I felt like really really resonated with me like probably more so than um, the sacramental life of the church Um, definitely more so than the rules of how to be a good Catholic and, and what constitutes a mortal sin and a venial sin and all of that like I got that in my Catholic education uh, you know upbringing family practice but um, once I started learning more about Catholic social teaching and the idea that it's not so much that these levels of personal devotion or rule following are Uh, an abundant expression of what God hopes for in the world if we have any insights into that Um, that, I don't know I guess that's that's been the core of my faith and I find that in the Catholic Church because I have found it there I see that there are expressions of it in other places but in different forms and in forms that I haven't found to be as full as the form that's been the first one that I've you know been exposed to through being Catholic right I don't know if that makes sense no, so and, but, but say if someone doesn't know exactly what Catholic social teaching is can you summarize it in like two sentences or like five paragraphs <laughs> I don't know like that's what, that's because I think it's, it is some, one of these things that like I was not exposed to it as a child or mm-hmm. as an, or in high school not really in college either um it's like one of these things that you kind of hear about unless mm-hmm. you pursue it. And I, mm-hmm. But then again, there's some people that are like steeped in it. Mm-hmm. But it's it seems to be fringy. Would that, would that say? Right. Okay. Right. I mean, I, you know, a book written by a priest on Catholic social teaching in the 90s that's like, you know, it was kind of Catholic social teaching, our best kept secret. Right. You right. know? And I think that's still kind of the case, that it seems fringy. Um, so... I haven't, you know, I'm not prepared to do a little presentation no, on Catholic social teaching, but, but what about the, thing it, like, that, the thing that really resonates with me um, is that it's looking at the nature of the human being, first as created in the image of likeness of, of God and therefore worthy of dignity in all facets of life, not only spiritual and sacramental life, but in the day-to-day meeting of human basic human needs and um, work, education, um, recreation, even like everything that one needs to thrive. Like that, that, that is the foundational 
principle of Catholic social teaching. And then the next component, even if you're looking at, say, seven principles of Catholic social teaching, the next component is that we are not only sacred beings, we are social beings. And so how we organize ourselves from the, you know, one one person to another person relationship to our family units, to our community units, to our national units, to how we interact on an international scale, all needs to be informed by this sense of being sacred and worthy of a dignified life. And so all the other principles of Catholic social teaching flow from that and give, um, I guess, insight into or direction toward how one actually lives day to day in the world, how you earn your living, how you spend your money, how and when and where you advocate for others, how you serve others, who are the most marginalized, um, who are the most kind of calling forth of attention and resources, not only of an individual person or a household, but the church in general. So that is a, it's not a roadmap of a, a situational roadmap, but it's a principle roadmap. And that is something that just given my personality, that's what I look for in life. I look for the big picture. Like, what am I aiming toward here? Like, what's the, what's, what are the values that I'm, I'm trying to express in what I'm doing? When, I need that how, kind of how orientation. How did that come to you? Like, was it when you went to Swarthmore, right? I did. So yeah. was it like in the air at Swarthmore? Like, was it a college thing? Was it after you got out? Or was it like, did you go to a mass and you're like, oh my gosh, like I have a moment. Like, how did that happen? Uh, I think it's, it was very gradual. So I'm sure I must have received instruction on this in my K-12 through Catholic education. Do you on Catholic social, social it teaching? It must have been there somewhere. I don't, rec- I don't recall. Because I don't. I, I had a similar education. I don't. I don't recall it really. I don't know. I, so I'm trying to give give, 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 give seeds, a little credit. You know that there must there. have been something. Yeah. Um, I feel like at Swarthmore, I didn't take any particular classes on Catholicism. I took a few like scripture classes and an excellent class on mysticism, which um, really I think was the most formative class I took there. But the whole school is kind of steeped in values of uh, social responsibility and what that looks like. So I think that was more, I guess, of laying a foundation. Um, And then the year after college, I participated in a one-year volunteer service program that recruited young Catholic adults to live in um, community, do full-time volunteer service, and focus on personal But you don't go to that from, like... I was in a sorority, and then I just, like, that's what I mean, like, there's right. something else, like, brewing there, like, what, because that's not, I don't, while I've met many people who've done that, I don't think it's a typical experience, I, I mean, it's typical I in some circles, so. I guess, but what, to actually go through that process and be like, <laughs> I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer, I'm going to have my degree from the school, mm-hmm. and I'm, and, and I'm going to not get an MBA or whatever, <laughs> like, I'm going to do this other thing. Like, what was that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was more, that was less related to Catholic social teaching mm-hmm. at that point and more related to this strong value that definitely was instilled in me through Catholic education and my family around it's good to help people. Right. And help people who are most in need. And so 
what I recall, uh, my senior year of college, I realized I don't really know why I'm majoring in the major that I have. I mean, it was intellectually fascinating to me. Uh, I had a special major in psychology and biology. Okay. Kind of like that combination of biological basis for behavior. Um, it was very interesting to me. Pretty much everyone else who had that major was going on to med school mm. or studying neurology, and it's like I I know I don't want to do either of those things. Um, I was kind of burned out on school in general, and really just didn't know what kind of work I could have afterward. And so um, I had not gone to Catholic mass much in the first three years of college, but I got more involved my last year. Um, and I was, was at mass and had a you know, quite quiet discernment prayer time. It's probably not one instance, but over a number of, of times of being at mass of what the heck am I going to do after right. I graduate? You know, like, all right, God, help me out <laughs> here. And, um, I think that was that was the time at which, like, oh, I can just volunteer. Like, I can just go and help people somewhere. And I don't need to worry about not wanting to go to grad school, not having a career path before me right now. Like, I'll just do that. And so I just, you know, found a volunteer service directory and started applying to programs. Was it Jesuit volunteer program? It wasn't. It was a model after that. Okay. So it was a small program sponsored by the Archdiocese of Hartford okay. in Connecticut. Yeah. So then that was, in, was that in an urban setting? It was. Okay. Yeah, we were in downtown Hartford. Okay. We lived in an abandoned hotel, basically. It's like, it was a 12-story hotel that had been built in the 20s, and our program, which had six people in it and one young adult director, lived on the floor of the hotel so each of us had our own room amidst this long hallway mm. of like 25 rooms or something there were a few medical students um, who were residents at the nearby Catholic hospital a few floors up and there were a few nuns associated with the archdiocese mm. also living so it was in owned hotel. by the archdiocese? I don't think it was um, owned by them I think there was some sort of arrangement some sort yeah. of arrangement. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, yes, it was a it, it was a very unusual living arrangement, um, and but a really significant year of my life. Um, we definitely had exposure to Catholic social teaching there, and um, had the opportunity to learn a little bit about the Catholic worker. Uh, there was a Catholic worker community in Hartford at the time. Um, one of the board members who was really engaged in supporting this little band of volunteers was someone who had just intentionally located himself in a low-income neighborhood in the city and was essentially living like a Catholic worker, just kind of helping people in the neighborhood. And I don't remember what his job was. He might have worked at a local uh, AIDS ministry center which one of our volunteers was placed at um, and I was placed at a Catholic home for pregnant and parenting teenagers um, and did my service there a few other people from our group were placed at a Catholic school in a nearby town um, 
So it was, we were in that Catholic social action world. Very and most so. of your peers, or were they all Catholic? They were all Catholic. Okay, that okay. was a requirement. Oh, wow. That's yeah. A requirement. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Um, and so this is like in the 90s, late 90s, yeah, maybe? Yeah, this so is 95. Yeah. yeah, so there's like some stuff, yeah. like AIDS is still like, I mean, it's very yeah. much so mm-hmm. a thing, and it's a bit controversial with the Catholic, for the Catholic community to be involved. Because I remember those, <laughs> those years were like a lot of tension. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, now that's, see, I'm, I'm trying to get at the, because to me, and this is not about me, but it's like this nugget of like Catholic social teaching mm-hmm. is like one of these things that is very hard to leave if you want to leave the church. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I couldn't leave. I wouldn't lose faith in that. Those, I wouldn't lose faith in those principles. Those principles, though, mm-hmm. you, you, you think, or at least your experience has been that they find their expression best in a Catholic context. Well, all of my experience has right. been inside a Catholic context. Um, so knowing very little of how those principles are expressed through Protestant churches, right, right. say, is... That's, that's it. I know very little yeah. of that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't... I, no, no, no. I don't know how to compare, except that it feels... It's been such a formative element for me of shaping my... Mm, how my spiritual life is expressed. Um, yeah, that I feel like I would carry that with me. Even, even well, I do. I carry it with me now. It is formative to me now, even though I am not an active Catholic every week. I'm not in good standing in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't consider myself out of the church either. So let's talk about being in good standing. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, I mean, talking to people, I have noticed that everyone has their idea of, like, what is being in good standing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we know what it is on paper. It's like, okay, so you're clean of sin, you've been to confession, you go to right. Mass weekly. Right. Um, you follow Catholicism in the prescribed manner. Right. And I think at least most of the Catholics who I know and have known over the years, like, been close to do not and so we can be in not good standing because um, we missed mass and didn't go to confession or not good standing because we're not in agreement with prohibition of, on the use of contraception or we're not in good standing for some other reason like it may be apparent or it may not be apparent right. but that's that has been my experience with most of the people I know in the Catholic Church that there are people who are self-identifying Catholics mm-hmm. um, who like dip in and out of sacramental life. Mm-hmm. But and for me, that goes back to to a year prior with the white supremacist rallies that were happening here in Charlottesville, and actively calling upon clergy to be involved and not receiving any positive response on that. Were was there a response at all? It depends on in what instance we're talking. So, because so we knew that the rally was going to happen, we knew the rally yeah. was going to happen. Um, so there was the um, 
May torch rally at the at the time Lee Park, right. um, you know, statue, um, and there was an immediate community response to that of a vigil. And, and when you refer to community, you mean like the Charlottesville community, not the, the Catholic community. The Charlottesville yeah, community, right. yeah, and other faith leaders. Sure. Um, like other clergy. Other clergy, yes. Um, so I was, I attended those initial, like, response uh, opportunities, which were, again, like prayer vigils, days of prayer in the park. Um, I shared invites to those with local clergy and then just generally on the Casa Alma list the people who showed up were lay people uh, then we knew also that there would be a KKK rally in July and one um, local priest who I know uh, was downtown at the time of the rally not in clerical dress and just kind of walking around to sort of see what was happening, but not not connected to the clergy response um, in which clergy met up at a, a downtown church and processed to the rally specifically with a message. When you say, when you, then you're referring to Protestant clergy? Um, well, processing. I, I don't know if it was exclusively Protestant okay. clergy. It may have been clergy... Well, no, it was not exclusively Protestant clergy. There were clergy of other faiths. Okay, but there were clergy of other faiths, Mm -hmm. and not in the Catholic Church, and not represented in that. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, despite being asked. So, this is one of those points of local connection among clergy members that I'm not privy to. Um, There's a local Protestant clergy member who has. been active in reaching out to clergy of all faiths to bring people together to address social issues in Charlottesville. This predates um, the events of 2017. As far as I know, Catholic clergy have not been involved in that group at all. And so the invite to be part of these events would come from that person and that organization. And some local clergy, for example, don't do email. So anything that reaches them via email, they don't really pay attention to. So I have heard local clergy say, no one invited me. Mm. When the invitation is extended in a group that is already trying to relate to one another, um, but that I think Catholic clergy are either a combination of overtaxed and under-interested in being involved in. How, do you, how would you say they're overtaxed? I'm just curious. Uh, I think the expectations that we place on, for example, a, a parish that has one priest, I think they're absolutely unrealistic expectations for all the roles that that man is supposed to take on and be proficient in. And, um, and that's a I congregation. Don't th- I don't how big is the congregation? Almost any size, I would say, yeah. unless it's like fifty people, yeah. and that doesn't exist around here. Right. So you take a congregation of a thousand households, or you know, even three hundred households, um, which would probably be close to the congregation sizes of two of the churches here. Yeah. Um, 
and you have one person who is supposed to be the spiritual leader, the sacramental leader, the pastoral care leader, the human resources leader, the financial leader, the, the Christian formation leader, attentive to youth, um, making decisions about buildings and grounds, like all of those things um, to have essentially final say with all of them and implementing directions that the church is going to go in in all of those areas. And this is, um, I think it's completely unrealistic. Swears and Prayers podcast is brought to you by me, Jen Mediano, and producer Erica Gregory at Scout Creative Agency in Charlottesville.